Hello everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Second Arrakis. Anna is back again to talk about a, I guess, Discworld adjacent novel. Um, at least I consider it so. You know, death's in there. Uh, uh, we're talking about Good Omens today, which is the collaboration between Neil Gaiman, who I actually, I started reading Neil Gaiman first before and discovered Terry Pat- Pratchett through him. Um, but it's a collab between the two of them. And I love them both, and it's hilarious and fantastic. And what do you think, Anna? Uh, I agree. For me, it was the other <laughs> way around. I uh, was in a. I buy every Discworld book that I can find and uh, bought this one because I saw Terry Pratchett and said yes. And have read a lot of Neil Gaiman since because I like him too. <laughs> yeah, whenever. So I got introduced to Neil Gaiman because. My high school senior English teacher was like, I think you'd like this book. And I read it, and he was right. It was amazing. And Good teacher. Yeah, yeah. So that started my Neil Gaiman obsession. And then I discovered Terry Pratchett not long after that because they were such close friends. And they, you know, Neil Gaiman talked about Terry Pratchett all the time. <laughs> so, you know, it's hard to, it's hard not to discover him through Neil Gaiman if that's how you go, you know. I had a high school teacher who gave me uh, the Lord of the Rings, so which started the whole shebang for me. Nice, <laughs> that's awesome. Um, so you said that you've read some Neil Gaiman since uh, reading uh, this book. Uh, what are your your favorites? Like, give me a kind of an overview of your Neil Gaiman experience. I think. Probably Good Omens is my favorite, but of the pure Neil Gaiman things, I think it's uh, Neverwhere. I love that book. It's such a unique idea. Yeah, yeah. Like that. Yeah, Neil Gaiman has a really cool imagination. You know, it like it really appeals to me. Like, and you can tell by looking at him that he appeals to me. Like. He dresses in all black. He has long hair. <laughs> he has the most relaxing voice I've ever heard. Yes. Uh, I love him. <laughs> he, yeah, he does He does the audiobooks himself, I think, and he does a very good job. Yeah, I love listening to audiobooks of his books. Um, I actually did get the audiobook for this one, and I listened to some of it, and I absolutely loved the audiobook. I think the narrator was really good. Have you listened to the audiobook? I think so. I have it somewhere. But didn't Neil Gaiman do it himself? Uh, I don't... I'm not sure. I think it was Neil Gaiman. I think it was... I think so. I don't know. I don't either. (laughs) (laughs) I don't remember it being Neil Gaiman, but I don't remember. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I, I kind of did a mix to get through this as quickly as possible because... Um, at the time, I was preparing for vacation, so I had a lot of, like, cleaning to do. Um, and it was fun to listen to that audiobook while it was cleaning. It made it a lot more interesting. <laughs> um, <was>. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's just get into it. So the whole premise of this book, and there's a TV show, which... I haven't seen all of it yet, so we're not going to talk about it in this episode, but we're going to do a whole episode for the TV show once I get through it. I've watched the first two episodes, though, and I remember loving it, 
Um, mainly because David Tennant is in it, and I love David Tennant, and I think he's the best Crowley. I, I like he's the perfect Crowley. Did you know that they wanted to switch at some point, the both of them? And, and he wanted they, to be easier. They did, yeah, yeah, they did it for fun. They said it was <laughs> awesome, and then they they talked. I saw it in some extra for the show. They talked about the idea of doing it as a play and alternating. Who played whom? That's awesome. Which I was like, that's a brilliant idea because I would totally go and see this twice. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And they would be two completely different versions of the character. I cannot like, imagine it, but they say it works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I think David Tennant is just, he, he's like the perfect Crowley. Um, I love, um, uh, Oh, what is his name? Who plays Aziraphale? What is his name? Michael Sheen, I think. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, I think he's a good Aziraphale, too. Like, I think they did a great job with the casting. Um, so I'm excited to watch it all. He's he's brilliant as well. When you see him in other stuff, you don't recognize him necessarily because he's very versatile. That's why I can yeah. imagine that they're right, that he could also do a good Crowley. Well, David Tennant, yeah. he's he's good too, but he's always very David Tennant. You would never not recognize yeah, yeah, him right, anywhere. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what a sexy man! I know, right? <laughs> uh, that's that's one of the reasons I love him so much. <laughs> yeah. Um, so obviously, they co-authored the book and. We were actually talking at the end of our last recording session about pyramids, about how, like, I think I pointed out that there were some goshes in, in Good Omens, which there are five, by the way. I recounted today. <laughs> I highlight every gosh now. <laughs> um, but we were, we were curious as to whether or not, um, any, anywhere you see a gosh is like a telltale, uh, Terry Pratchett sign, like Terry Pratchett wrote this section. Here be Terry Pratchett. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And while I was going through the book, I was trying to like kind of notice who was writing what part, but they write so similarly in a lot of ways um, that it's a little bit hard sometimes to tell who wrote what. But if there's a gosh, <laughs> it's Terry. <laughs> then we sure. know. <laughs> I, I cannot, I can, I cannot tell. Which part was written by whom? Um, I think they have a very, very similar sense of humor. Mm-hmm. It's probably why it worked. Yeah. They, they actually, I mean, they, they, there was no internet back then. They talked on the phone and sent this book in the mail back and forth. And I think Neil actually moved to the States during this. So it was, mm-hmm. it was shipped. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Around. It's, it, I can't even, I can't imagine how you could do such a thing, but it, it it worked. Yeah, I love it too. I love, I just, I don't know. This book is just perfect. It's so good. Uh, the pacing is perfect. The characters are incredible. Everything about, it's hilarious. I laugh so, so hard when I'm reading this book. Um, so it was just, I don't know. It's the perfect combination of two really brilliant authors. Hard agree. <laughs> Um, so you want so, to talk about what happens in it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so the premise of the book is that an angel and a demon 
And Crowley was, I always say Crowley. Is it Crowley or Crowley? He, I think he changed it from Crawley to Crowley. I think Crowley. Okay. Okay. Um, Crowley is like the snake that tempted Eve. And Aziraphale is like, he was the guardian of the Garden of Eden, right? The angel outside of it. Yes. Yep. Yeah, so they're like the originals. <laughs> they're the OGs. And in all of this time... Maybe maybe been- they're just that in the show, though. I'm not completely sure. I confuse them now. <laughs> so yeah, maybe, I thought I- maybe if if we're wrong about the book because it's in the show, I'm very sorry. It might oh, happen. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I thought... I thought I read that, though, but I don't know. It's very, um, very possible. I think in this case, it's not too bad if you confuse the two of them because Neil Gaiman was so involved with the show. Yeah. Nothing happened yeah. in that that he wasn't happy with. So right, right. if we, yeah, exactly. if we make a mistake there, then um, it's not too far out of the original author's intent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we will be forgiven, right? <laughs> uh, uh, but anyway, um, so like... I don't know. Either way, they've been they've been a long the they've planet. been around for a long time. <laughs> yeah, and they at some point became friends, and they have this like I don't know this pact of friendship or whatever. And uh, they've really come to enjoy the finer things about existing in the human world. So whenever uh, Crowley gets the call that the Antichrist is coming, and it's like time for the apocalypse to begin they're like oh fuck <laughs> yeah not yet five more yeah. minutes yeah yeah exactly i've just exactly. gotten i just made my my plans grow the way i want them to mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> um but it turns out that somewhere along the way um in in one of the most hilarious scenes that i've ever read in a book they actually end up losing track of the Antichrist because there was oh, the a lot baby of switching. Switcheroo. Yeah. <laughs> there was a lot of baby switching and uh, some some satanic nuns got a little confused. Um, <laughs> and they don't find out until uh, the dog doesn't come on his 11th birthday because uh, they send a hellhound to the Antichrist. And that, like, kicks off the apocalypse whenever he, like, names the dog. But the dog never comes. Like, oh, but also, they're, like, super involved with the the child that they think is the Antichrist upbringing. So they're there for the entire thing, which is how they know that uh, the dog That's just in the show. That's in, in the, the show, too? In the, in the book, um, they send, like, agents to be around mm-hmm. the child. Sweet, mm-hmm. um, like from nanny in the beginning and then teacher and later and stuff. And in the show that changed it to them being the nanny and the gardener. Oh, I think okay. I'm pretty sure that in the book, the gardener is the actual, uh, Catholic saint, uh, Francis of Assisi. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Cause he says right, his brother right. Francis and he has all the birds with him and. Yes, 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 you're right, yeah. you're right. How do I remember like all of these details from the show? Because I it's, watched. Because it's good, it, it just. Yeah, it fits yeah. with your imagination, then it sticks. Yeah. And that's yeah, what I meant. Okay. That happens to me too. But in this case, I'm very sure that in the book, they are not there. They just oversee yeah. the whole process. Right. They're not like going to give up 11 years of their life. <laughs> no. <laughs> Being a nanny and a gardener. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there is a bookshop to be mend. 
Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Has to make sure nobody <laughs> buys his books. <laughs> Uh, that's I think that's my favorite thing about him. How he has this bookshop. Aziraphale has this bookshop where um, I mean he's just collecting them. He doesn't actually want to sell them. It's a front, right? Mm-hmm. So he tries everything short of physical violence to keep people from coming in and buying anything, which is just hilarious. He probably <laughs> wished he could do p- physical violence, but he is an angel. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So they have warlock. Um, They convince the American cultural attaché's wife or whatever to to name the child Warlock because <laughs> she doesn't want to name him Damien because that would be too on the nose that is that this is the omen revisited. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's so funny. There are so that's many. So I've, I've I've watched that movie after years after I read the book and I was like, oh, that's where all this is coming from. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's hilarious. And that and that yeah. kid that kid actually turns out to be a total asshole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he would have been a scary antichrist. Yes, he would have. <laughs> But Adam, But who is Adam. the actual antichrist, I love him so much. He's adorable and his friend group is adorable and I love uh I just love them together. Like their banter back and forth is so funny. And at one point, they, like, pretend they're the Spanish Inquisition, which is, like, the most hilarious thing I've ever heard. Ole! (laughs) (laughs) So, they have a little book of Spanish 101. (laughs) That's all they use. And, like, they have, everybody has to bring something, and there's, like, this fan that his sister has bought from Spain or whatever. Ole! (laughs) The Spanish Inquisition. I love that. God, that was so funny. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's they describe for the them and for Adam, it's the the quintessential perfect childhood that you should have. I think that's the idea of there's always this perfect weather. It's always snow and, and Christmas and long hot summers and golden mm-hmm. fall. Nothing. Yeah, and they have so much freedom, just roaming around like like you imagine. You, what you wanted to do as a kid, right? Terrorize the yeah. neighbors. <laughs> yeah. Get into adventure. <laughs> Torture your little sister. Yeah. <laughs> Who wouldn't want to do that? Yeah. Adam, though, is... I think he's such a, a sweet little boy. You know, like, honestly. Um, for being the Antichrist, he's pretty fair. He's interested in, like, the plight of other people. Um And I don't know. I mean, eventually he like completely averts the apocalypse. Um, so I guess he did, you know, he's, he got raised the right way. <laughs> I guess is what I'm trying to say. He averts the aco- apocalypse by saying, you're not my real dad. You were never <laughs> around. Yeah. Which is fair. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. And, you know, maybe Adam doesn't want... I don't know, to lose what he's got going for him, which is a great group of friends. And like you said, the perfect childhood. I wouldn't want it to end either. Yes, and even when he turns a little bit Maggie Mandelak, well, you know what I mean. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Well, can't can't do this word. 
Um, <laughs> like he assigns his friends to these continents and the dog gets, or dog gets Australia and stuff like that. He says, <laughs> no, I, I just want Tatfield. I just want this village yeah. and the fields. And that's all I need because it's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And I think several characters remark on like this feeling of the area being loved anytime they go into Lower Tadfield, mm-hmm. which I think is some sort of like antichrist magic, which is pretty cool because it's love instead of, you know, whatever you would normally expect out of the antichrist. Yeah, it's this realm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like perfect. The, it's it's perfect childhood and also like the perfect image of like an English village. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I love it. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so he gets uh, dog. He does the Adam thing and names the dog dog. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> and it becomes like a, a little dog. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he still has like these sporadic thoughts of like being a hellhound, but he's just like a tiny dog. I love that. Let's talk again about uh, Crowley and Aziraphale because... I mean, there's a lot to say about them. They're the main characters, I guess. I don't know. Oh, yes. (laughs) Yeah. I think Adam doesn't turn up until like a third into the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So Crowley is, I think, one of my favorite characters ever in any book that I've ever read. Um, Oh, that's a new one. You always have favorites in the books, but now you have an (laughs) overall one. Yeah, this is an overall. These two are overall. This is top tier. I love this character from Let's Day. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Um, And I think it might be like how British they are because they really are just painfully British. Um, (laughs) But also, in like, you know, they lean into whatever side they're on. So, like, uh, Crowley, I love because. One of his one of his uh, traits, his best traits, is that he's always taking credit for shit that he didn't do, <laughs> like like the Spanish Inquisition, which apparently he was in Spain at the time, had nothing to do with it. Didn't even hear about it until he got like a commendation or something like that for doing it, <laughs> uh, and he just takes the credit. Why not? And also, <laughs> when he does things. His superiors don't recognize what he's done. There's this whole scene where, like, everyone, one of the demons says, I have tempted a priest in 10 years, he'll be ours, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, why would I, like, do all this work for one soul? So I just shut down the telephone grid in London for two hours. Everyone will be angry for the whole day. They will scream at their children. This will just bring so much <laughs> evil into the world. And he's right. That's 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 where where people become nasty because they're inconvenienced, not because they're tempted. Yeah, <laughs> and, his, and it's his, like the other demons are like, eh. And he's like, don't you see? I'm so good. Yeah, they are not modern enough to know. You know, they they're yep. still stuck with tempting priests and. Yeah, right. I don't know, yeah. whatever else. Yeah. <laughs> but don't Crowley knows scale. how to really fuck with people. <laughs> yeah, he does the scale. He does the M25 motorway thing. And uh, I think he, he invented warranties. <laughs> yep. yep. Which, well done, demon. <laughs> but on the other hand, he says, and he's right, he can't even think of the worst things. Humans are just so much better fucking each other up. 
Yep. Yeah. So just sitting back and waiting for stuff to happen he can take credit for seems like a very smart move on his part because he understands human nature. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think that's why he's so good at what he does because, you know, a perfect example of that is all of the shit that he's done to completely ruin people today. And, and, you know, that's just, just inconveniencing a human being will bring out the worst in him and them. So he just sits back and, you know, drives really fast and, in his very cool car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, <laughs> one of my favorite parts was, um, I, I mean, Crowley at his apartment, um, where instead of going around and like singing to his plants as he waters them, he puts the fear of Crowley into them. <laughs> yeah. And they're the Is most it? terrified plants in London. <laughs> like he selects the one that which growth has pleased him the least. <laughs> takes it out and comes back with an empty pot and says to the other, see? See? <laughs> uh, that's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, but it works, apparently. He has very luscious plants. <laughs> <laughs> but terrified. Yeah, terrified. Absolutely. <laughs> um, we talked a little bit about Aziraphale earlier. Um, he's also one of my favorite characters. He's also, he, just, he just pales. Yeah, when he's with Crowley because he's not as flashy, but he's so sweet and naive. Yes. And he's constantly, Crowley constantly reminds him of the fact that he would be so bored in heaven. They have this (laughs) conversation like all the, we have all the good musicians. Yeah. (laughs) It's just like harps. Yeah. (laughs) One of the things that I, I love the most about this book, and I think one of the things that endears a lot of other people is the like broship that they have with each other, despite being from like opposite sides, quote unquote. And even that, like Crowley says at one point that, you know, everybody's just doing their job. It's not like, it's not like they're really like, Oh, I'm on a side. It's just like angels have a job to do just like demons do. Yes. And in the end, it, it turns out after all, they are not, different at all anyways mm-hmm. they don't care about being good they're just doing their job and if that entails bringing the apocalypse they are f- totally fine with that in heaven and so yeah. because they are so inhuman they can't be really good the way that we perceive goodness I think mm-hmm. and Crowley and Aziraphale have been around so long that they have turned a bit human which is why they want to preserve the earth and um, let the humans do their thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they really appreciate all of the things that humanity does. The, Like you said, the musicians and the food and the cars and all of this and books and all of the stuff that they enjoy. Um, that they Feeding the ducks food. in St. James yeah. Park. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. We have Pavlovian Pavlovian responses to trench coats, I think. Something <laughs> like that. Because all all spies ever meet there and feed the ducks <laughs> while being conspirative about it. Uh, uh, yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> so many small jokes. Yeah. Um, the two of them also love to compare sides. Like, you... 
you mentioned uh, Crowley mentioning that Hell has all of the good musicians. Um, they also like to compare politicians, some of which are actually on both sides, which I thought was funny. Yep. Uh, <laughs> they compare historical events um, and have a hard time remembering whose side did what, um, which I think proves the point that we were mentioning earlier. Like, they're not really good or evil. They're just on a side doing a job. Yeah, and uh, while they're basically making fun of the fact that some politicians are on both sides, later turns out they both think they have these human agents, and they both have the same one guy. (laughs) 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 Same one guy that they both pay at a rate of like 400 years ago, which why he invented all these people that theoretically work for him so that he can make a decent, still very low... (laughs) <laughs> living out of it. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, I so love, they're, yeah. they're also very much duped there. Yes. Yeah. I'll call they're, my people and I'll call my people and don't get in the way of my people. <laughs> it's one guy who doesn't even want to leave his apartment. <laughs> and his assistant, who actually turns out to be pretty good at what he does. Um, he definitely finds a witch. He does. He's a killer, though. <laughs> he finds her. And he yeah. finds her quite nice. Yes, he does. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, the what? What are they called again? Something army, the army, the witchfinder army. A uh, witchfinder army. That's you just it. said it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a witchfinder general and witchfinder private. I think. Yeah, yeah, um, and all the other I, like Mister Teapot and. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh. Yeah, there there were times where I was kind of like, this side plot, I, I don't know if it's going anywhere. Like, what is going to happen with this? Uh, I think it turned out fine. Like, Newt didn't have a huge part to play in the whole thing, but he did, I don't know, provide some comedy sometimes. <laughs> I think the only thing he does in the end is fuck up electronics, right? Yeah, basically. Because he is what he is not because he wants to be a software engineer or something and he really <laughs> is not. <laughs> yeah. So he's 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 the one who who stops like the the nuclear apocalypse by being incompetent. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, thank God for so him. Skill, skill that you <laughs> skill that you should have. Yep. Um <laughs> uh... Make every computer just explode when you turn it on. Oh, this would be so much harder these days, right? Yes, yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah, you you would be very fucked if you had that talent. <laughs> yeah, because back then it was like, okay, stay away from computers and drive an older car. But these days, oop, nope, you have a smart yeah. fridge. Don't open it. It will die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like... It's so hard to get anything without a microchip in it now, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, even if it doesn't have a touchscreen in it, it still probably has a microchip somewhere in it. So do we all now in our arms, right? (laughs) No. (laughs) No. (laughs) No. (laughs) For the record, no. (laughs) Uh, uh, Let's see. You want to talk about Anathema and the... I mean, the book is called The Nice and... Basically, what we're reading, Agnes Nutter's nice and accurate yeah. prophecies. 
Yeah, so Agnes Nutter wrote this um, very accurate uh, accounting, I guess, of the end of the world. And it's like, it's so accurate that her surviving heir, her... Descendants, yeah. Yeah. Um, they use it as like a, a roadmap for life, basically. Um, and they spend a whole lot of time like trying to um, figure out what her prophecies mean. Um, because like, you know, she didn't, Agnes Nutter didn't know what a car was, but she like saw it in her head and tried to, to describe it as best she could. Um, so they have to do a lot of, of I don't know, translating. Um, yeah, they're doing like index out. cards. and <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And we get to see some of their translations, and some of them are just absolutely hilarious. I actually don't have an example. <laughs> I know, yeah. <laughs> I do remember. When, uh, when you have, like, the idea of what someone a hundred years ago thought that she meant when she wrote it, like, 250 years ago, whenever that was. But we know yeah. what it is, because to us it's very obvious. Right. <laughs> I have an example as well, but yeah, it's it's quite funny. She, I mean, she managed to give them, like, investment tips so they are rich, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, Work yeah, well. she was really good, yeah, at describing stuff. But I think my favorite <laughs> part about it was, like, the, the way she safeguarded the book to be passed down um, by, like, including notes to the people she knew would look into it. Mm-hmm. Like, these, she gave it, I think, to, to, to a lawyer who should oh, pass yeah. it down to his firm and... Every once in a while, someone would be get curious and open it and find a letter to themselves saying, don't, <laughs> I know what you're doing. Uh, I, I also... Terrifying. <laughs> Agnes was, was terrifying, dude. She was a force of nature. My, one of my favorite passages in this book is when they're, like, talking about her and... Uh, they like come to burn her because she's a witch and she's like, I should have been burning 10 minutes ago. <laughs> yeah. And then she does the Apparently. nicest, then she does the best murder suicide ever. Yes. Yes. Um, her dress is full of gunpowder and shards and metal or something like that. So she just explodes. <laughs> uh, did she take the whole town with them? I think only the ones who come to watch her, but Good. maybe it's the whole town. <laughs> I don't know how big it was back then. Was a Newt's ancestor there? Did he yes. die by Agnes Nutter? Good. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, it, there's there's a lot of talk about witches in this book, especially with the them. And there's mm-hmm. a particular passage where uh, Pepper is talking about her mom. And she says something like, they're not bad women. They're just, I don't know, trying to break the shackles of patriarchy or something like that. Uh, Alluded to them being, like, very feminist, um, which I thought was hilarious. (laughs) Uh, I love Pepper's mom, and I love Pepper. (laughs) I mean, Pippin Galadriel Moonchild is quite the name to have. I know. Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) She was... Uh, That's adorable. And she was apparently, like, born on a hippie trip somewhere. Yeah. (laughs) And now they live in in this... ideal of like not suburban but urban bliss like yeah the the most what a bunch of sellouts yep (laughs) they got a mortgage (laughs) 
Um, yeah, I really like all of, of Adam's friends and their friend group. Like I was mentioning earlier, like, just some of the shit that they get into, I think, is really precious and hilarious. And anytime we were in their perspective, I really enjoyed it because, I don't know, it, it, they were just, it's just fun to watch Terry Pratchett and yeah. Neil Gaiman have You just want children. to be 10 years old and have that exact summer vacation. Yeah, yeah. And have those friends and make those kinds of jokes and play the Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Being one and one, wanting to be ducked into the pond because it's actually hot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Maggie, no, uh, I want to get on the swing set, yes. Art thou a witch, Ole? <laughs> yes. Precious. So precious. Uh, uh, yeah. Um, Anathema, who is Agnes Nutter's answer, uh, great, 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 whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Many great something. Uh, granddaughter. She's a professional descendant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she is. And I really like her, too. Um, she's very smart. She's very resourceful. Um, she really drives the plot forward just by ha- existing and having the book. Um, and, and having these actually- magazines. This, this hippie shit that she gives to Adam, which <laughs> makes him <laughs> yes, yes, turn the world into <laughs> panopticum of craziness. <laughs> Uh, it's like, uh, it's like those crazy conspiracy theories about aliens and, and they, they talk about witches and that's how the whole topic of witches comes up and stuff like that. Yeah. (laughs) I forgot that, that they meet and talk to each other, but. Yeah, that's the, that's the subplot. Yeah. I think he hears, somebody says that she gets Witches Magazine, and so he's like, oh, we have Witches, we do the Spanish Inquisition. Oh, yeah. And then he meet, they meet, she gives them all, him all the magazines, and then he like, turns very, very woke. <laughs> Doesn't want to burn any witches anymore, but wants to yep. save the whales, which is nice. Yes, it is. It is. Um, speaking of saving the whales, one of my favorite parts about this book is, you know, there's obviously, the plot is driven by christian i don't know the you know the bible right the apocalypse yeah yeah the end time but (laughs) but at the same time um there's a lot of mention of the world kind of ending because of climate change and the i don't the sins i guess of of the humans that live on the planet and are destroying it with their greed um, some aliens show up at some point and they try to give Newt, well, they tell Newt that he's in violation of being a dominant species or something like that. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, we get and, reprimanded uh, for the way we treat yeah. the planet, right? Fair. Yeah, yeah, we do. Fair. Yeah, it is very fair. Um, so I think, it, I thought it was interesting that although there's this very religious plot they also kind of bring in like these very real ideas of if we don't stop how we're doing things, the planet is actually going to suffer and the world actually will end. Yeah, it's climate change and also man-made war. They just accelerated a bit. Yeah. 
I mean, the yeah. fact that war is an arms dealer is brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I actually we haven't to talk about even next. talked about yeah. the writers of the apocalypse and the other <laughs> writers of the apocalypse, which is my favorite part of the of the whole book. <laughs> so my theory, and this is what I noticed when I was reading it earlier, is. I think that um, a lot of the four writers of the apocalypse sections were written by Neil Gaiman because I they're very much his tone. You know what I mean? Like uh, war being, you know, I I don't know. Yeah. It just reminded me a lot of American Gods. The way yeah. he would describe the way um, that the god that that these anthropomorphic whatever um, <laughs> how they would work in our society. That's very Neil Gaiman. That's true. Yeah. Death? Yeah. Death, though, is... That's Pratchett's death. Yes, yes. It is, it is. I did notice that, and it was very exciting. Because I think, when I read this, I hadn't really gotten to the death books yet. You know, I, I had only read Mort anyway. I don't mm -hmm. think I had read it yet, so I didn't see the parallel until I read it again. But yeah, that's definitely Terry Pratchett's death. But the other three, you might be right about that. That it's... Mm -hmm. Oh, I forgot about American Gods. I loved American Gods. I love American Gods. Yeah. And the Anansi boys are nice too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe like we'll do a podcast about this. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Have you seen the TV show? I did. Uh, not not the entire thing. Yeah. I watched. I, we watched the first season. I loved the first season. After that, it got a little... Mm, I don't know. Mm. A little too convoluted. Okay. I th the um the additions they made for the first seasons I really liked. Yeah, like that they, they opened everyone with another like origin story of some religion. They were beautifully done. Yeah, yeah. Very trippy yeah. show. I liked it a lot. Me too. Me too. And actually, that that was the very first Neil Gaiman book that I ever read. That my English teacher suggested that I read. Oh. And I fell in love with it. Yeah. That was my introduction to Neil Gaiman. Um, yeah. I think I read that yeah. late. Very cool. What was your first Neil Gaiman book? Uh, Stardust, I think. Oh, that's a good one, too, though. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, that's like a cute that one. one. It's so different. Yeah, it's very cute. Yeah. Yeah, it's like his aesthetic without being his aesthetic at the same time you know what i mean it's more like, it's, it's him it's him diving like into fairy tale territory mm -hmm. yeah like the movie too uh, yeah me too he's, he's very, i don't know if, if neil gaiman is just very particular about the clauses he gets with adaptations or if he gets lucky because i mm -hmm. think most are good <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think I, he, I've never seen Coraline, but I've heard that it's really good. It is really good. Why haven't you seen that yet? I don't know. Watch it. It's really good. It's really good. I, I actually... I, I mean, no, I know what it looks like and the aesthetic is, is there for sure. Mm -hmm. It's a it's a great adaptation. I think Neil Gaiman is just always involved and his like super involved with them. So you're right. I think it might be a contract thing where he's like, "Yeah, I'll give you the adaptation, but I'm I need the some control." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is perfectly fine with me because, like, whenever they announced that they were making an American God show, I was like, "E," because like that's a hard book. 
to yes. adapt, I think. Uh, but when I heard that Neil Gaiman was involved, I was like, okay. <laughs> there was no yeah. question that it would be good. Yeah, and, you know? and with good with good omens even more. So um, yeah. I think he, he took even a lot more creative control there than he did with uh, American Gods. He did basically everything by himself. And I th he said that he did it because out of respect for Terry Pratchett. Yeah, yeah. Which always makes me a little teary-eyed. Yes, I know. I know. Their friendship I I feel like I feel like the friendship between um Crowley and Aziraphale kind of mirrors their own and that they're both like very, very close. Possible. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's very yeah, close it's it's all other. about dichotomy the angels and the demons and good and bad and things like that. And that combined with the fact that it's two authors who work together to make something It works. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it works really well. Really well. And, I mean, the end, like, the end of the book being, like, at the end, nobody's good or evil. They just have a job to do. And, you know, you know it seems like it's super divided, but it's really not. And the apocalypse doesn't even happen anyway. I like the way that that resolved a lot. Um, because it didn't feel, it didn't feel like one side won. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yep. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Maybe the humans won. I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, but I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure the idea is that there is no good or evil in like heaven and hell. There's just, because you need to be a little bit of the one to be able to be the other. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have the capacity of being good, then you can't be really evil. And if you have and the other way around. So, yeah, it, it turns back. I think we talked, um, I think with sisters and when we spoke about death, we talked about this fascination with humanity that his non-human characters tend to have. And this is basically all that, right? It's Yeah. It's like seeing seeing all the complexity that, humanity has that they don't have the angel and the demon and they them loving it and them and they try to implement it themselves which is hard for them because they are in the end still angels and demons and you know in christian mythology that means they don't have free will mm -hmm. but they get around that yeah <laughs> by <laughs> yeah by having the other one yeah and so like yeah. The two of them together can be like a human. Yeah. They can yeah. exercise free will by just balancing out, which was the idea with the Antichrist as well. And don't you, don't you think, aren't you curious what would have happened if they had, like, had the, the right child? <laughs> would their plan have worked? <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, Warlock I think it was a very an stupid asshole. plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because then both, <laughs> then both having influence, then you could just have no influence, right? And he is the Antichrist. He's not a good guy. So maybe just having the heavenly impact would maybe do something. I think their plan was was totally imbecile. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was terrible. <laughs> Yeah, and in the end, what worked was Adam being very, very human, being surrounded by a lot of human love. That turned it around. And having free will. 
deciding that yeah. a big scary dog is not what he wants, but a little mongrel with a floppy ear who likes to play <laughs> fetch. Yes. <laughs> so pure. Dog is so precious. I love his the little snippets of his POV that we get um, where he's just... I, 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 where he's just, like, being a normal dog, but, like, he keeps having, like, these random hellhound thoughts and, like... Just, I, yeah, I know, just turns, all, turns on his hellhoundiness just to scare a cat or something. <laughs> um, okay, so we still haven't really talked about the writers of the apocalypse mm. yet. Um, so... There's there's one interesting change that we'll talk about in just a second, but I just figured we would go in order of their appearance. So, okay, our first, um, our first is War. Her name is Scarlet. Yeah, like female earlier, representation. Yeah, I love I love Scarlet. Um, she's definitely like the typical badass female, you know, femme fatale or whatever. Um, Straight she's out an arms of dealer. Straight out of a Tarantino movie, that woman. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So you see her I like in, her. you know, in, in Kibble, she has this yellow motorcycle suit. She has that in red. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, doesn't she have like red hair too? I think everything about her is red. Yeah. 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 Uh, and she has a sword, yeah. which works well with the Kibble idea. Yeah, I think I'm going to do fan art (laughs) 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 of of war with a. (laughs) Yes, you should. (laughs) (laughs) With with a sword. Looking like Uma Thurman. She she kicks a lot of ass, that's for sure. In her scenes in the book. um. Yes, and, and the idea that a war dealer would bring about the end of the world is not very far-fetched at all. If you look at the history of the First World War, mm-hmm. <laughs> there, were, yeah. there were arms companies who went to both sides and were like, did you know that they are buying all these weapons? You should also buy weapons. And by the way, if you wait another year, they will be have outrun you in the arms race. So maybe you should attack now. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. Capitalism. Woo! Yeah. Yeah, I love her character. I think it's spot on. Um, okay, so next, uh, we have Famine, who is, like, some sort of fast food company executive or something like that. I love his character, too, because he's very, like, very trim, and every time he eats anything, it's, like, one of each thing, and they're, like, very aesthetic. (laughs) I have a, I have a little... I think I have a little problem with this depiction of famine, though. Oh, really? Okay. Yes, I do. I I think it's it takes away the actual huge worldwide problem of malnutrition and famine that we do have by making it all famine being like eating disorders are bad and people not taking in real food even if they could that's all bad but there are so many people worldwide who really don't have access to food that it's yeah i think it takes a little bit of that away which Mm -hmm. takes us into the next one because that's so similar you know the idea that pollution took over that pollution being a ride of the apocalypse is is a great idea but the idea of Mm -hmm. of pestilence having retired because of penicillin I mean, now we have worldwide pandemic, so it feels weird anyway. But even before that, 
that only tracks for like the really rich part of the world that we don't have mm -hmm. problems with disease anymore. So same idea. I think it's a bit of a, of a very, um, culturally centristic worldview that doesn't gel well with me. Like it's, yeah. Yes, those would be the writers of the apocalypse for a rich English dude. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> But there are literally yeah. millions of people who seem to be visited by the real famine. <laughs> a yeah. lot. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And I, I know we're usually very, very positive about these books. So I like to, if I have to nitpick something, I will. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. I just wonder if, like, Because I feel like we very recently had Terry Pratchett describe the uh, four horsemen of the apocalypse or whatever. And it almost feels like if they had made it the same as um, the Discworld four horsemen, maybe it would have felt like too Terry Pratchett or would have felt like mm -hmm. too Discworld. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I definitely, I, I definitely agree with your criticism because, um, like you said, like the main for, for famine, the main depiction, I think, of, um, of his power is this model who comes in who's like the top model in the world and she looks like a skeleton with leather, like stretched over it mm -hmm. <laughs> because she's so small. Yeah. And that seems to be where they were going. And, like, you know, if you're wealthy enough to be that skinny, good for you. But there are people who are that skinny because they actually can't get access to food. So, I agree. So, idea. Just uh, if we want to update this. Don't ha ha let it be pestilence or pollution. Let it be climate change. Because... What we do is we pollute everything, we make climate change, and that makes people starve. So mm -hmm. it doesn't work with the P. <laughs> right, yeah. But, th but yeah. that's basically it, right? The man-made destruction of the Earth is, I think, what this idea is. So. Yeah. Yeah, and... I take this. And, and I was thinking the same thing when I was going through the book earlier is uh, the idea of pestilence retiring but we just had a worldwide pandemic mm -hmm. that killed you know over a million people or I don't even know what the numbers are anymore uh, because I had to stop looking mm -hmm. into that <laughs> for your insanity uh, yes. yes yeah yeah exactly um, so yeah I just that that did fall a little flat for me too mm -hmm. Uh, but, you know, I suspend disbelief, you know, I just go with it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that's, if it, if it was just this thing that we now again see how problematic it could be here, that would be fine. But as I said, even before this pandemic, there are a lot of countries where they battle these diseases regularly. It's just the first one that reached us here who felt that with our medicine, we're untouchable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but they do make up for it with the other four riders. <laughs> the additional oh, four riders. So much. <laughs> <laughs> Which Anna and I had a good laugh about this 
I think a couple of times just in our DM with each other because the yeah I think when you first this is like the when you first asked me if we wanted to do good omens I was like yes because even though it's years ago that I read this I'm still I still can laugh in my head just thinking about these guys. Uh, so they are, I can't exactly remember. I think they just meet in like a biker bar, right? Yeah, I meet think the, the, actual... the, the original four meet up there. Death is and there the whole time four... and he's playing the trivia machine, which turns <laughs> its topics to the, to the, the, the one of the writers, I don't have a little term for them, who come in. Mm-hmm. So, there are like four categories in it, which usually be like current events or Eurovision or whatever. And they re- get replaced by like famines and yeah. wars. Yes. Yeah. And then death. Yeah. yeah. I love, yeah, I love those little details feel very Terry Pratchett to me. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> so the other four writers just also happen to be in this bar and. I don't know, they get this walking. Yeah, yeah, they think they're really cool. (laughs) Oh, and the the, the original riders don't ride horses, they ride motorcycles as well. Yeah. So these bikers are like, ooh. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, they probably have like the coolest bikes, right? Oh, of course they do. Just imagine how they look. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I think it's described (laughs) that like um, pollutions just leaves like an oil slick on the street. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yep. <laughs> and the is like super sleek and red. Yes, yeah. Death yeah. is of course I... the coolest. Of course. <laughs> uh, um, but these other four writers, um, I can't actually remember what their real names are. I think one of them's like Skid. <laughs> one of them's Dog. I can't remember. <laughs> They're not uh, depicted as the most say refined of people right <laughs> so uh, yeah, but they tag along yeah and they pick new names for themselves um i don't know do you want to tell us what the names are i feel like that's an honor i should bestow upon the guests okay i have to <laughs> open up your notes because i know that you saved them there because I don't They're know the them out of the top of my head <laughs> yeah so they they think about what else should be a apocalyptic writer so something that they really don't like and the funny thing is that one of them likes to change so he changes once and then he wants to change again and the boss or whatever says no you can't change so (laughs) (laughs) i think they settle on uh grievous bodily harm really cool (laughs) people (laughs) uh cruelty to animals and my highlight, things not working properly even after you've given them a good thumping, but secretly no alcohol lager. <laughs> uh, God, I love that. Yep. <laughs> Their whole conversation where they're trying to name themselves is so funny. And then the highlight, I think, is um, obviously the horsemen of the apocalypse or the bikers of the apocalypse. Riders. Yeah, they're powerful yeah writers yeah they i don't know they can just drive through shit because they're death and war and etc etc um but the other four writers cannot so whenever they try to follow them 
they end up crashing, like, in the most horrific possible way. Because they try to drive through something, like the other four did, and and they can't. (laughs) (laughs) That's why they're not present, actually, at the end of the world. Yeah. You know what would have happened. Because yeah, we have knows? we have the standoff in the end, right? The, the four kids and the four riders. But if there were would have been eight riders, who knows? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe grievous bodily harm would have weighed the scales. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but how how uh, how cute is it that this mean mean like biker? I think they're like, I think they, are they hell's angels? Which would? Yeah, they, I think. Yeah, I so. think they are. That one yeah, of them yeah. thinks about the worst thing that he could be and says cruelty to animals. <laughs> I thought that was precious. Aww. Like, I, like, I would probably be cruelty to animals too, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, I love that. This. I always like to imagine, like, when you see these horrible TV documentaries about like the worst prisons in the world and the worst prisoners and they're so evil. And I always imagine what would happen if you just left one of them, one of these people like alone in a room, nobody would see them with a kitten. Yeah. But they would probably <laughs> like react the same way that everyone does with a kitten. It's like, yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no one <wants> see that. <laughs> okay. I think that we have, gone through all of my notes but i do have a things that made me laugh section besides Uh, everything besides (laughs) things not working properly even after you've given them a good thumping (laughs) but secretly no alcohol lager (laughs) i love that he like didn't take no for an answer and kept it close to the chest you know what i mean yeah. If you're not going to give me my name, I'll just keep it for me. <laughs> I'll know that I'm no alcohol lager, which in my world apparently is the worst thing ever. <laughs> I've honestly never had a non-alcoholic beer. Um, there are some that are totally fine. Oh, really? They, yeah. Do they just taste like normal beer? I've 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 had some that do, and I have I've had some that are just very watered down. Ew. So it depends on the depends yeah, on the brand. I think brand. probably the kind of beer. I'm I'm not sure about lager. Maybe that's one of the bad ones. I know that um, in the summer we drink a lot of Weizen here, like Hefeweizen, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, those you can make non-alcoholic. They're <clears throat> totally fine. Like. Ooh, I wouldn't, okay. I wouldn't know the difference. So that's like, that's a big staple for everyone who's like driving. It's like always non-alcoholic Weizen. Yeah. Oh, cool. I think I have some here. Oh, nice. <laughs> for that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, we have a local store that has a bunch of like international beers and stuff. Maybe I can find one and try it or something. But I mean, like champagne or sparkling wine, whatever you can have non-alcoholic, and it's also it's it's fine. If you had one, if they had the side by side, you'd probably be able to tell the difference. But if you didn't know, you probably wouldn't recognize it. Wine, on the other hand, does not work (laughs) without alcohol. So who knows (laughs) what it is? Yeah. Maybe the trick is if it if it fizzes, you don't notice anyways. I don't know. Good 
very possible. Yeah. But I've I've been on a couple a couple of weddings in my life where they just had just non-alcoholic champagne because they were like we have so many like people who are driving or I think the bride was pregnant or something like that and they were like mm-hmm. why even bother what asking it's not bad if you give someone no alcohol when they think it's alcohol that's not a problem unless you're this particular biker who thinks it's the worst thing ever because he would probably <laughs> feel so betrayed so if someone cheated. did that to him yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm never coming to your wedding again. <laughs> <laughs> That's a threat. <laughs> I'm uh, sitting out your next two weddings. <laughs> That's hilarious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, thanks. That made me laugh. Um, so one of the things that made me laugh the hardest, and probably one of my favorite scenes of the book, is when Crowley and Aziraphale figure out that they have lost the Antichrist. So they go back to the, like, place where uh, the Antichrist and the imposter were born. And whenever they get there, um, they find that the head nun or whatever has turned it into, like, a corporate paintball retreat. Um, And while they're there, Crowley turns their paintball guns into real guns and they just slaughter each other. (laughs) But they don't. (laughs) <laughs> they don't actually because Crowley knows that it would make Aziraphale cry and he doesn't because <laughs> he's so because when it comes down to it he's not good at being really bad right <laughs> because yeah because he's basically in love in whatever way that may be with this angel guy doesn't mm-hmm. like people to see people suffer so he doesn't make people suffer really he makes them annoyed a lot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he makes them stay, stand in traffic for hours, not being able to make a telephone call or have shitty warranties that they can't get through. But he doesn't <laughs> kill people ever. Yeah. Which yeah. is, I think, just because he likes this guy so much. Who wouldn't want yeah. to see people die? <laughs> yeah. But yes, yeah. Um, the idea of corporate retreats being a trip to a satanic monastery. good idea (laughs) by the way even before like the what is the order of the chattering whatever yeah it's it sounded satanic as fuck like how did how that never shutting up is beyond (laughs) only desirable in podcast hosts because if you shut up during a podcast it just turns into nothing yeah silence Uh, yeah, I love I loved that whole scene though. Oh, oh, okay. There's one. I only have one more thing. <laughs> um, Did we get through everything you like? Yeah. Again? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All in the wrong order, but that's that's how it goes. <laughs> that's our thing now. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Always talking yeah. about that we like the structure of the book and having none. Yeah, ourselves. absolutely none. <laughs> Um, uh, I don't remember when this is or where or who's there. I think it's in the beginning of the book, so it's probably Crowley and Aziraphale, but at some point they're in a room, um, and there's a wall clock with a free-swinging pendulum that Edgar Allan Poe would have cheerfully strapped somebody under. (laughs) 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 I love that. These these many jokes. But at the same time, the description really works. Like, you know instantly how this should look. 
Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> well done. Uh, That's definitely pressure too. Because yes, I've, yep. I've, I've read more Edgar Allan Poe jokes from him. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think most yeah. of like the, the real world references that come in, those are a lot to movies, to books, to whatever. I think those are mostly pressured. I think that's this kind of humor. I, I've not I seen agree. that so much in, in Gaiman. No. Neil Gaiman's uh, books are very self-contained. You yes. know what I mean? Like, it, of course, American Gods though. leans a lot from from mythology, but he doesn't do the pop culture stuff as much as Terry right. Pratchett used to do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Well, that's all, all I got. Do you have anything else you want to talk about? Just overall thoughts? Overall thoughts? I feel you and I both are very fascinated by literature about religion. <laughs> I, I agree. Don't, I don't know why, but that seems to be the case. So yeah, let's do in a while, let's do small gods and let's do American gods and compare. Okay. That sounds good. When how close am a, I? It's um not not too far off. It's okay. three or four or something down. Okay. Um because it's well it's very different stories. It's both like the concept of gods needing faith to exist and what they do regarding that mm -hmm. uh, yeah i'm super super interested uh because i and i i like your idea of reading them kind of at, at yeah, the same we, time or yeah we close. could yeah we could i mean if we say that we want to do some some game and we can maybe just switch one in whenever we think it's we have stuff to talk yeah. about and after small gods we could totally say okay now let's Let's see what's, what his friend made of the same idea. Yeah. yeah. A very, very I different think thing. <laughs> I think that's a great idea. Yeah. yeah I need that. to reread <laughs> that for sure because the TV show has definitely overwritten a lot in my head. I actually just got uh, this copy of American Gods that's like, it looks like 1980s Pulp Fiction. Sweet. It's so cool. I'll send you a picture of it. Sweet. I love it so much. So I'll crack into that bad boy when we reread it. <laughs> Do you have uh, your Good Omens book, the one where it has covers on both sides upside down? I have this it one. It does not. That's sad. Yeah. I also got like some have, have brown you, on it. Oh, have you seen those where it has basically yeah. covers on both sides? You can. Yeah. 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 I. <clears throat> I like I, it. I think I got this. Yeah, I got this one at Borders when I worked there because like. I was discovering Pratchett when I worked at the books. It's like a bookstore. I discovered Pratchett when I worked there, which was great because I could like buy the books at hmm. a discount. <laughs> Good. Yeah. I don't think I own a cop physical copy of Good Omens. I when I first read it, I think I got it from the library, and then later I got oh, the yeah. ebook and the audiobook. I think because I have it's the ebook too. At least it doesn't. It isn't in the bookshelf next to my Gaiman's. Maybe it's somewhere with the Pratchett's, but I can't see those <laughs> right now. Mm -hmm. They're buried underneath other stuff. <laughs> I don't know if I own the book or not. That's sad. <laughs> well, I do own it as an electronic yeah. copy and as an audiobook. Yeah. No, I have no nothing else. I think I need to get out. 
I think we, we, we skipped a lot of stuff because so many small things happen. Yeah. We didn't talk yeah. about the delivery guy. Oh, yeah. But we can talk and about the delivery guy when we do the show because they, okay. they expanded yeah. a bit on him. Or rather, he's, he's more, more visible because the scenes are a bit longer. Just because that's such a scary idea. The guy having to kill himself. For oh my this, God, yeah, for yeah. this, as we all know, was vastly underpaid job. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I figured that if if we didn't talk about anything in this episode, we yeah. would just cover it. It's in just the... good that we did the other writers of the apocalypse because they do not appear in the show. <gasps> no, mm, yep. really? Yep. Oh my god. Um, you know why? Why? Just think about their whole dialogue or inner monologue or whatever while they're writing how would you do that oh yeah you're right, you're right. they are talking to each other while on a motorcycle which does not work in the show <laughs> <Just> <laughs> yeah, yeah. game and i I've, I've actually seen that in an interview he thought about it's it, like it would look bad i just let's just cut it yeah well that's sad but they still yeah. exist in if the it's, book if it's, and but our if hearts. it's not as funny then <laughs> Yeah, and the inner monologue is like a big thing about that scene. The inner monologue of mm-hmm. the one guy. And if you mm-hmm. can't do that, then it's not as funny. And then, yeah, I agree that we yeah. better not see it than it being disappointing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Neil, yeah. I trust Neil Gaiman's creative decisions too. Like, yep. you know. He's added other stuff that is absolutely brilliant. I think the... the oh, I'm excited. I think it's the third or the fourth episode, I'm not sure, where the... The part before the opening titles is like a third of the episode. It's like 60 minutes long or something. And it's just Aziraphale and Crowley meeting again and again over the course of history. Oh, this is, it is a work of art. Like they meet in, in the, in the Globe Theater during a rehearsal for a Shakespeare play and they meet like as medieval knights on a battlefield and again and again, it's, and see how they got to being friends during the French Revolution, oh. where Xerophil got like himself almost guillotined because he just wanted to, I think, have bayonets or something. He didn't even want to have anything <laughs> to do with the revolution. Mm-hmm. But I mean, he's such a fop that of course they wanted to execute him. <laughs> so, yep, <laughs> obviously. And this whole thing, nothing of it is in the book, and it's so good. Oh, I can't wait. That's I'm why so I said excited. it's that, that I think that the adaption may be a, even, maybe even better than the book because it focuses more on, on the two of there. them and how they, how they came to be this way. I think you've seen one of the scenes probably in, in, uh, three sources. You can, I think you've probably seen the scene where, uh, David Tennant does this hop, hop and skip, skip through the aisle of a church. Yeah. <laughs> That's during World War Two. <laughs> where they're having a, good, a meeting with Nazis who... Oh, my God. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. And, and Crowley just saves Aziraphale again and again and again. It's so cute. Adorable. So cute. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> yep. I can't wait. But, yeah. Yeah, we can we can t- talk about everything that we forgot in the other one, and then we can talk a bit about the differences and why it yeah. works yeah. or not. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Maybe maybe we'll have like criticism again. <laughs> Do you think it's bad that yeah. we never have any criticism? 
No. <laughs> okay. You just like to be positive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just I just felt I needed to add that one. Yeah, no, no, please Because do. I'm always we, overly positive. We were very so. lighthearted about this whole stuff, even though you could like think about the Spanish Inquisition in a that's not actually really funny kind of way. Yeah, yeah. But that it occurred to me when reading it, and it occurred to me the very first time that I read it, that with the famine thing it was like eh Yeah. People yeah. do starve. Yeah. <laughs> and it's actually a big, big problem. And this is making light of it in a way that I did not, it didn't get, I didn't get it. Yeah. You know, the, the Spanish Inquisition making fun of totally works for me. <laughs> the, yeah. the famine thing. Yeah. 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 I'm, uh, yeah. Please provide criticism because like. Yeah. I don't want to I'm be so like negative all the time, but. I'm so, like, I get so starry-eyed about the stuff that I love that You're I will... You're also compete. stoned. If I were stoned, I would probably be even more incoherently, this, I love this, I love this, I love this the <laughs> most ever. <laughs> But I mean, it's your, uh, it's your style. It's basically your brand, right? Yep. <laughs> yep. yep. <laughs> no. Okay. okay. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye. <laughs>